Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that, like Peter, we might marvel at what has taken place. Any of my words today, Lord, that are not of you, may they fall to the ground and blow away, for they cannot give life. Only your words give life, and so may your word remain. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning and happy Easter to you and to your families. I've said multiple times over this past week in these eight days, this week of weeks, this holy week that we have walked through, that it is a week which has wrought our salvation. In other words, without it, there's no gospel. Without Monday Thursday, without Good Friday, and without Easter Sunday, there is no good news for humanity. None. On Monday Thursday, Jesus taught us about love. Through Holy Communion, through the cleansing waters of foot washing, and through the new commandment He gave about loving one another. On Good Friday, Jesus continued to teach us about love in a very enacted sort of way. He willingly gave Himself up to death on a cross for us to redeem the world. And on Easter Sunday, Jesus completed His enacted message by rising from the dead, victorious over the grave. This is the Paschal mystery. The incarnation, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Now, the way we often talk about what has taken place in the last three days, at least theologically speaking, is the atonement. We know that word. Christ made atonement for the sin and the separation from God which humanity experiences. And I doubt that any of us would dispute that we experience those things. Through Jesus' perfect sacrifice, though, humankind is saved from sin and brought back to God. We can relate to God in a way that we could not before. Now, throughout the history of the church, and it's a long history, two millennia, there have been a variety of ways of explaining what the atonement looks like. Is there an image that might help us to better understand what took place through the cross and through the resurrection? The most common way of thinking about the atonement, at least in modern Protestant circles, is referred to as the penal substitutionary view. I know that's really complicated. Let me explain what that means. We picture a courtroom. That's that word, penal. We picture a courtroom where God is the judge. We know from the scriptures God is judge. He knows what's good. He knows what's evil. He makes declarations about that. Human beings, we are the ones who are defendants. We're on trial. On trial for what? On trial for being an enemy of good. For willfully rebelling against God, the Almighty. Turns out that the, the case which God has against us is pretty airtight. It's pretty airtight. All of you have sinned. All of you. 
Some might dispute it, maybe, but I bet not. And the Bible says that the wages of that sin, the punishment, is death. God is so holy and so good and so perfect. We may not like that, but that's the truth. Yet, God in his great love for us sends Jesus to take our guilt upon himself and to receive the judgment of wrath which we deserve. How would he do that? On the cross, Jesus takes our sin upon himself and dies in our place. This is the way that the New Testament often speaks about the cross. For instance, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, you and me and the world, God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. He was perfect, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's an exchange of righteousness happening. Jesus takes our unrighteousness and we receive his righteousness. There are numerous other passages in the New Testament that speak about the atonement in just this way, and I think we're right to meditate and reflect on that. But this morning, I'd like to suggest that the atonement, the most important event in human history, is such a cosmic reality and such a complex truth that we really can't just view it in one particular way. And in fact, the New Testament doesn't present it in one particular way. And so this morning, I'd like to share with you another way in which the atonement can and should be understood. It's called the Christus Victor view. If you've been an Anglican for some time, you probably have seen this show up throughout the liturgy. If you're new to Anglicanism, new to Anglicanism or this maybe is your first time at an Anglican service, um, maybe after I explain this view, you might see it all the more throughout our liturgy. Before I describe this this morning, I'd like to just ask you to consider, what does that even look like? What does victory look like? What does victory feel like? Have any of you experienced victory in your lives? If you're like me, maybe just a lot of futility. If you think that the great epics of literature, perhaps you might imagine Odysseus, From the Odyssey, after years of endless obstacles, the gods were literally against him. He finally returns home to Ithaca, he slaughters all of his enemies, and he saves his family. Or maybe you might think of Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee, who finally throw the ring of power into Mount Doom, and they defeat the power of Sauron. If you think of history... The great battles therein, perhaps you'd bring up D-Day when the Allies invaded the beaches of Normandy and then on VE Day when the Nazis finally surrendered. Or maybe a little bit further back and a little bit closer to home, you might recall the Battle of Yorktown when the British finally surrendered to General George Washington. Each of these examples, they're moments of complete victory. Victory that comes after a great and protracted struggle when the enemy is finally silenced and life can return to the way it was meant to be. The Christus Victor view of the atonement, it says that from the beginning of creation until the end of the age, God has purposed that through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son Jesus, the powers of evil 
are going to be completely and utterly overcome, silenced. And humanity and all of creation is going to be reconciled to God. In other words, life in a very new creation sort of way is going to return to what it was meant to be. Imagine that. Life as it was meant to be. The Christus Victor way of viewing the cross and the resurrection was actually the most widely uh, held way of viewing the atonement among the early church fathers. And as I said, instead of viewing the atonement in the setting of a courtroom, it views the atonement in the landscape of a, a cosmic battle. A battle in the universe. Uh, you know, the Bible had this before Marvel ever did. <laughs> there is God's kingdom and His creation on the one side, and then there is a rebellious kingdom of darkness on the other. It's that of sin and death and of evil. And since the be- beginning of creation, evil and Satan as a representative of such has been waging war on good, on the truth, on the beauty on the life and on the righteousness of God. And Satan won a major victory when he successfully tempted humankind to join him in that rebellion. Now, this isn't to say that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness are on a level playing field. We are not dualists who believe in the balance of good and evil, like in Star Wars. It is not that. God is the epitome of good, and His goodness is supreme, and before anything was made, God was, and good was. But, out of the goodness and love with which God created the universe, He did and has to, He must, allow His creation the willful choice to love or to hate Him and what He has made. When Adam and Eve, as we're told in Genesis 3, disobeyed God, they chose the latter. They chose hatred of God. And so have you and I on a daily basis. On an hourly basis, if you're like me. And we cannot help ourselves. We can't help ourselves. And so the story of Scripture from the first book to the last, describes a cosmic conflict which has ensued between God and between all that rebels against Him. Now, if you can remember back to Ash Wednesday, that was a long time ago at the beginning of Lent. I'm grateful Lent is over, aren't you? (laughs) Hallelujah. And yet, back on Ash Wednesday, I said through the colic for Ash Wednesday, God hates nothing He has made. God hates nothing he has made. Now, we have hated God, and yet he loves us because he made us. Instead, what God does hate is the unmaking of the good things that he has made. That's what God hates. The spoiling of what is good. The vandalism of shalom. And so... Because of God's great love for all that He has made, rather than allowing His creation to be eternally spoiled and discarded, or burned with fire as some like to think of it, God purposed that He Himself would deliver us. 
and that he himself would unmake the sin and the evil that you and that I have made. In other words, a battle plan was drawn up before the foundation of the world. That the death blow against evil would be inflicted on a hill called Golgotha. And the marvelous and the mysterious thing is that no one expected the death blow to God's enemy to come through the death of God himself. And yet, through the crucifixion and resurrection of God's perfect son, Jesus Christ, God has won victory. Victory. Do you experience victory in your life? We might ask, how does the incarnation, the fact that God became human flesh, how how does the incarnation and the death and the resurrection of Jesus bring about victory? Look around you. Sin and death and evil are present, are they not? It's not really disputed. Well, how does it work then? The problem of sin and of death and of evil, which everyone in the world can see, Christian or not. It was created, biblically speaking, by us. By all those who would choose to hate God the Creator instead of to love and obey Him. And as a result, God is the only one who can fix it. God is the only fixer. Now, God is just. He's holy, and he's pure, and he doesn't tolerate evil, and he requires judgments against it. That's what it deserves. And yet, God is also love, the epitome of love. And he desires, even requires, the redemption of creation. So how can these seemingly mutually exclusive things come together? How could God satisfy his justice and triumph over our death when he himself can't die. This is the beauty of the Paschal mystery. God became human flesh in order to redeem us. I want to read something from the reformer John Calvin, and it's highly theological, but it's profound and beautiful. So listen, I'll read it twice, actually. He says, Since neither as God alone... Could God feel death? Nor as man alone could he overcome death. In the incarnation, God coupled human nature with his divine nature, that to atone for sin, he might submit the weakness of the human nature to death on the cross. And that wrestling with death by the power of his divine nature, he might win victory for us through the resurrection. Clothed with our flesh, he vanquished death that the victory and triumph might be ours. Again, since neither as God alone could God feel death, nor as man alone could he overcome death, in the incarnation, God coupled human nature with his divine nature that to atone for sin, he might submit the weakness of that human nature to death on the cross. And that wrestling with death by his power in his divine nature, he might win victory for us through the resurrection. Clothed with our flesh, Jesus Christ vanquished death and sin together, 
that the victory and the triumph which belongs to him might also be ours. The victory of Christ over God's cosmic foes is a frequent way that the New Testament talks about the atonement. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, Through Christ, God disarmed the rulers and the authorities of the kingdom of darkness and put them to open shame. He made a mockery of them by triumphing over them in Jesus Christ. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Or consider what is the most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament. In other words, in their scriptures, the Old Testament, what did the New Testament writers quote most often in their writings? It's Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Does that sound like victory to you? I encourage you to read the book of Revelation through the lens of Christus' victory. In fact, I think that's kind of the only thing that makes sense of that book. The whole book is about the Lamb of God conquering the kingdom of darkness, which was a very relevant message for the early church as they faced a severe persecution, first from Jerusalem and then from Rome. Wouldn't you want a message of victory too? The artwork that we've been using for the Triduum services for Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and for Easter have been painted by a Ukrainian artist named Ivanka Demchuk. Now, I wanted to, to, to give you a handout just to display those three pieces of art in their full form and to give you a link if you wanted to explore her art. Uh, you can see it on, on the seats as you came in. Uh, I wanted to just point out that Ivanka, in her icons, is actually illustrating Christus Victor. For example, in her crucifixion icon, you can see above the cross the sun and the moon, symbolizing that what's happening there on Golgotha is not just something for that moment, not just something for humanity, but something for the universe. Everything gets remade because of the cross. Second of all, down at the bottom of the cross, you see death represented by a skull and crossbones pinned in its place and buried. Death is dead. Or in her icon for the resurrection, which we're using today, you can see Jesus stepping out of darkness and into light, and he's leading humanity by the hand. God came to us. You can also see at the bottom of that icon, the lower right-hand side, you can see a cross. And you can see a key and a lock that has been opened. There's victory. This is a powerful message. It's called the gospel. And I want to say that I imagine it's quite powerful to our brothers and sisters in Ukraine living through what is a horror this Easter. If you and I were believers there, I think Easter would be far more meaningful than it might be to us today.
And yet, I don't think that the gospel is powerful just in war-torn nations or in eras in history when the church is persecuted severely. No, I, I mean, is there anyone here today who needs the victory of Christ? Is there anyone here today who would say, I've got as much victory in my life as is possible? I highly doubt it. Is there anyone here today who might be daily laden with guilt about what you've done years ago or what you're continuing to do and you just can't change? The gospel is you don't have to live in your brokenness anymore. Jesus is the victor. Is there anyone here who's going to die? Some of you, sooner than you think. And maybe you wonder, maybe you fear what's on the other side. Maybe you should fear what's on the other side. Yet, while you are going to die, there is a better resurrection life on the other side because Jesus is the victor. Or maybe... There's someone here who faces evil and suffering on a regular basis. Maybe you're a nurse. Maybe you're a garbage man. You wonder daily, how could God allow such suffering and evil in the world? God is not allowing it. God dealt a death blow to evil. And in the process, redeemed us of our evil. Jesus is the victor. Is there anyone here today who might need victory? Would you like to experience what a victory feels like? For all those here who might have aging parents and be burdened with grief for them, For anyone here who has a spouse with dementia and you're slowly being widowed. For all those here who have children with unexplained illnesses and you're deathly afraid for them. For all those who have fragile marriages and you don't know if you can make it. For all those here who are dominated by clouds of anxiety and a shadow of fear about everything in your life. For all those here who have bodies that seem to be failing just one part at a time and you're just sick and tired of the pain. For all those here who are lonely beyond belief and you wonder if it will always be this way. For those of you here who never seem to measure up to your own expectations, let alone the expectations of others. For all those here who have wounds from abuse, physical, verbal, sexual, and you just keep beating yourself up over and over again as if it were your fault. For all those here who struggle with addiction and compulsive behavior and you cannot best it For all those here who have been burned by the church and maybe deconstructing your faith. 
The gospel is that none of these things win. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. I am absolutely positive that every single one of you needs more victory in your life. And I am absolutely positive that it doesn't matter what you faced yesterday or what you faced today or what you will face tomorrow, whether it's tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. I'm positive that in the face of all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, says Paul. Jesus wins. By putting our faith in Him. By leaning all of our weight upon Him and and nothing else that's just worthless in the world. We win too. John says in 1 John 5, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith in the Son of God. And so, beloved, those of you redeemed by God and those of you still waiting to say yes, over these last eight days, we have walked the week of weeks. We have trodden with Jesus along this journey, and Sunday is here. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. May you believe it. May you believe it and receive it. As Paul concludes his treatise on the power of the resurrection in his letter to the Corinthians, his first letter, he's pleading with them to believe the relevance of the resurrection for here and now. He says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory over death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friday we went to a funeral. Today we experience new life. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.